Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 74 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Uh, today's guest is another great guest from our friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicists and Company. Uh, her name is Somi Aryan. Now, Somi has a very, very interesting uh, interesting past and a very interesting take on the future. We're going to be discussing uh, her book, Career Fear, and uh, she talks about how to beat that by taking a uh, a very open-minded view of the present and the future. Um, she is a great lady doing great things. You're going to see some links in the show notes for this uh, episode that I really highly encourage you uh, to check out, including her FemTalent uh, webpage, especially if you're a uh, lady listening to this. I think you're going to find that resource uh, very, very useful. Look, enough of me talking up Somi. You're going to be extremely impressed by her as soon as you start hearing her talk. So with that, I'm going to shut my mouth and let you get into this outstanding interview with Somi Arya. Today's guest is a tech philosopher, international speaker, award-winning filmmaker, and LinkedIn top voice influencer. She specializes in the impact of technology on society and the future of work. Her new book, one we'll talk about quite a bit today, is titled Career Fear and How to Beat It. Get the perspective, mindset, and skills you need to future-proof your work life. My guest name is Somi Aryan. Somi, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me out. Yeah, no, it's a blast, and I know uh, it's getting a little uh, later in the evening on your time frame there, so uh, I'll do my best to move this discussion along for you so uh, so you can get some relaxation time in. How's that sound? No problem. Yeah, sounds good. I'm, uh, like I said earlier before we started this, I was like, I'm waiting for my Friday night uh, wine, but, you know, we are having that uh, virtually together now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So uh, before we get into your book, uh, I want to start you out where I start all my guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Well, uh, it's no uh, secret to you that I didn't know <laughs> the, the background of that, so I have to ask you. But now that I know what you mean by it, um, I think that it's not a burden to me because ultimately everybody uh, is responsible for their own lives. And we will talk about uh, critical thinking later. You know, of course, you know, it's uh, ultimately if you're running a business or um, uh, leading a group, you, know, you have to take risk. But uh, the best thing that um, you can do as somebody who's leading, you explain the risks that you're uh, taking to your team but ultimately, it's uh, up to them to decide whether they want to go along that journey. So you're not dragging anybody with you. So I personally don't see it as much of a burden because uh, for me, I'm, I, don't, I never feel that I'm necessarily leading people. I'm, I feel that I'm empowering people to lead themselves. And I share my vision. And if they uh, feel that they are aligned with my vision, they join the team and they do their part for all of us to achieve a certain goal uh, together. Yeah, no, and I, and I love that answer. And for somebody who wasn't sure what that, uh, uh, you know, what it meant, 
uh, at the beginning, like you said, uh, that is a fantastic, there's a fantastic response to it. So uh, uh, I, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so again, the title of your book for listeners is career fear and how to beat it. Get the perspective mindset and skills you need to future proof your work life. And, and what I like about the book. So, you know, for, for the listeners, it's broken down into, um, into three parts. And the first part is perspective. Uh, the second part is mindset. And in part three is human skills. And in part one perspective, you start someplace that's very near and dear to my heart because I talk about history a lot on this show, especially as it relates to leadership. And the title of your first chapter is A History of Work. So why did you decide to start with that when you're really talking about the future for most of the book, right? Yes. And actually, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you asked that because I've done a lot of interviews about the book and not many people ask that question. I was worried about doing that in the sense that I felt, felt like, especially because the, the book is written for young professionals, but for any, all, all professionals, but especially for kind of younger professionals that are thinking about the future. And I was worried that they may not have the um, uh, patience to stick with it because uh, there's a lot of history in it. When you go back all the way to uh, looking at, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution way before that. But I felt that this was so important that in terms of giving you a context of where the future is going because you really, you can't have that context otherwise. You know, we are, people are asking about the future of work. They're asking, you know, how technology is changing uh, future, but because they don't have that context, that contextual understanding of how technology has been impacting our lives, they, um, they're likely to just be swayed by surface level information, right? So that's why I'm always thinking, you know, I'm always explaining to people, don't be a headline reader, be a deep diver, deep, you know, dive deep, because when you dive deep, that's part of, you know, going back to history, it gives you strong foundations to understand, to unpack, to connect the dots and understand where the world is going. That's why history, I felt, was very important. Well, yeah, no, and I 100% agree. And, and I love the fact that you you go all the way back to, you know, early humans because, yes. I mean, it, it's true, right? A, a, a lot of the modern things we deal with in a workplace can be traced all the way back to how we originally started forming groups, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, you think about the concept of work. What is work? Work is the act of outsourcing a task that you would have done otherwise to something else. So when you look at in uh, in uh, in nature, you know there's there are these little birds that sit inside the um, the teeth of crocodile and clean them. That's basically crocodile because it doesn't have a toothbrush. You know, it is outsourcing the job of cleaning its teeth to the to the bird by doing so it's creating a job for the bird and the bird is getting uh, a, a getting paid you know a, a salary you know eating eating the food you know which is stuck in the in uh, the teeth right so so that's so in nature creating jobs has always been part of nature you know when you look at um, even you know there's this really fascinating idea that I heard on um, Lex Friedman's podcast. I'm a big fan of him. And he, he uh, was interviewing Joshua Bach, professor. And uh, Bach said something very interesting. He was like, it could be that plants are actually much more um, intelligent than humans because actually they have outlasted everything, you know, because, because it's like from early history. So you could say that, like, for example, that the plants, maybe, you know, that's another way of looking at it, right? That yeah. have created this ecosystem and brought us into this world, you know, to create this, uh, because because we have a reciprocal relationship, right? We, we yeah. uh, take in oxygen, you know, like they, and uh, they um, 
put out oxygen, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, so, so there's that oxygen and uh, CO2 kind of relationship uh, in, in terms of how we breathe, uh, you know? So, yeah. so it, it's so all, of, all of nature, uh, creating jobs is part of nature, is part of life. It's like, you know, it's, it's just, because no element in nature can do everything by itself. However, as we go into this new age of uh, artificial intelligence, we are exceeding, you know, we're, we're superseding all, all uh, previous forms of job creation in the sense that, you know, we have been able to uh, create a level of productivity. We're, we're creating machines that have, uh, that are, you know, superseding every other form of productive output that uh, is beyond you know what nature can do right is is beyond in terms of speed and and scale it's just like there's no other you know like there's no other machine in nature dna can't do that it's no other machine in nature that can have that level of productive output and that's what is disrupting our jobs yeah no i i like that and just kind of a sidebar i think i agree with uh uh, uh, Mr. Baugh there, uh, I believe I pronounced that name right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Baugh, like, like the musician Baugh, the Joshua Baugh. Baugh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, because, uh, and, and I'll have to, if you haven't seen it, I'll have to send you the link here offline and I'll probably put it in the show notes since we're mis mentioning it. But, uh, you know, you may be onto something because, uh, there was some research that just came out of the university of Wisconsin, uh, Madison here in the United States that showed that, that plants may be, uh, may very well be kind of interconnected like uh, they were depicted in the movie Avatar. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they trace some signals that show like when you pick a, when you pick a flower here, it sends signals, you know, within, you know, several, maybe even 10 to 20 feet of that plant to plants around it. They're like a signal of distress. Uh, wow. So, yeah. That's so fascinating. Yes. It, it is. It is. It was interesting to hear that because, you know, but again, like you said, with AI and the things that were, uh, we're, we're, kind of developing now we really do look to nature and look to human biology to kind of mimic some of these things after but as you said we end up kind of improving on the design if you will right exactly but basically i always give this example i say like when you think about the capacities that we have as humans we have three main capacities you could say arguably maybe four because but the fourth one i, I won't speculate too much on because i don't know enough about but the th the three obvious capacities that we have are our physical capacities our cognitive capacities and our emotional capacities the fourth one speculative you could say maybe uh, spiritual or you know some kind of fourth dimension that we don't quite understand it could be that that dimension that is like the, the connection between the plants, you know, there's, there's, it feels like there may be another dimension that we don't fully understand. So, but the three dimensions that we understand, you know, it's like physical, uh, cognitive and emotional. The first industrial revolution or from the dawn of history, one of the first things that we did as humans was like trying to, find a way and and that's what happens in nature the first thing that every element in nature tries to outsource is the physical uh, aspect the physical capacity because for example going back to the example of the crocodile the crocodile cannot physically reach its teeth to clean it right that's why you know it ha it's outsourcing it to uh, a bird so in nature the first uh, aspect of our lives uh, as, as um, living phenomena is always uh, the physical part, you know, the burden, the physical burden of um, living in a, uh, in a physical reality, because it's so much more, there's so much more, um, you know, uh, like things don't, don't flow smoothly. You know, there's like, there's, there are more obstacles in a way, in a physical reality. So you, so the first thing you need to do is to try and find ways to overcome those physical obstacles. And, um, and that creates work, creates jobs that are based on, uh, you know, for, for other elements in nature, based on, based on uh, trying to overcome those physical things. So 
in humans, by the time we got to the first industrial revolution, we got really good at that, you know, so we, we were able to create machines that were doing all of our physical bidding for us, essentially, right? So we didn't have to worry about carrying, you know, heavy things because we had the wheel, you know, we had horses, we, you know, we were using other animals, other machines to carry stuff for us. Um, and then uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, we created these factories and within the factories, we were able to have these machines that could do all the repetitive things. So the next thing is, you know, for, we are, we could say that uh, arguably humans are the only living creatures that have been able to go beyond outsourcing just their physical needs. You know, as humans, we've also been able to outsource our cognitive tasks by creating computers so that we didn't have to do all those um, arithmetic and, you know, all the difficult calculations, you know, uh, bookkeeping, uh, keeping track of data, right? So we've developed um, ways to uh, outsource our cognitive abilities, our cognitive capacity. Now, what happens with each of these outsourcing uh, things that we do, we lose, you know, because you always gain something, you lose something. So, for example, we lose uh, as we use machines. So if I'm, for example, if I'm using a dishwasher to clean uh, my dishes and I'm washing, using a washing machine to wash my uh, clothes and I'm using a Roomba to clean my house and I'm using, you know, a, a mop uh, to clean my... So I'm not doing anything. So what should I do? I, I need to go uh, jump on a treadmill to get some kind of physical, you know, <laughs> you know, to get some kind of physical exercise. In the same way, we've done the same thing with our um, uh, cognitive things, right? So cognitive needs. Uh, so we have outsourced that to a great degree. So that's why we need to now, you know, um, pra practice mindfulness and things like that. In the past, people would listen, you know, they would sit uh, in the evening, they would sit around fire, they would just look into the fire. That was their mindfulness practice, you know, and they would just like have a chat and, and they would sleep on time early, you know, they would wake up when the, when the weather, uh, so when the uh, when the lights went down, or, you know, when the evening came, light went down. It wasn't like now that you have all sorts of um, electricity and, and lights that um, stop your melatonin production in your body. So your body was like just in rhythm. It had like a rhythm. It it was in in sync with uh, the nature around you. So you had all of those things. But now we've disrupted all of those things. So we've disrupted our mental um, mental uh, well-being, essentially. Uh, and now we have to uh, use all these tools you know, to uh, kind of uh, recreate those things, you know, in a uh, in an artificial way, right? So artificial exercise, artificial mindfulness, you know, like uh, I use all these um you know i use like a, a brain wave thing that i put on my ear that helps me you know meditate or whatever but but all of that is because we we don't have that naturally occurring thing now the third thing is is emotions now with artificial intelligence we are at a position where we could potentially be uh, outsourcing our emotional needs because you know if you could create machines like in japan they're already doing it right. you know they're they're creating these seals right that the robot seals i don't know if you see them mm -hmm. or like robot uh, robots you know uh, dolls or whatever that they give it to old people uh, you know the seals uh, they, uh, they are so cute and they're just so loving you know they're right. lovable uh, and 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 they're giving these things to um, old people so that their children don't have to uh, go and see them or, or their um, grandchildren you know, don't have to have that ex um, expenditure expenditure of uh, you know emotional uh, uh, burden essentially you know to, to go and see these old people and give them love and, and affection so they are outsourcing their emotional needs we are already creating um, robots or you know bots that uh, you could that you know you could talk to because as people <laughs> you know we are becoming lonelier and lonelier right, right. So, so we are now we are now also outsourcing our emotions so what's left for us why are we even there you know yeah. well i mean it, it's it's very interesting you know once you bring up because i mean you're you're dead on and, and like you said we see a lot of this right now you know and you know it's it's uh 
you know, some folks may consider this kind of a taboo subject, but, you know, you mentioned the the AI and, and the loneliness uh, piece, but, you know, there's all these studies that are coming out right now that with this kind of uh, rise and in interest in, uh, you know, what they call the, the sex robots for, for men and women, mm-hmm. uh, the, the impact it's going to have on society going forward, because, you know, how advanced these things are, are becoming, and, yeah. and it's it's kind of scary to think about um about that kind of transition uh, as you said from having a a real live physical connection to mm-hmm. having this kind of connection with something that is almost real life you know because these these things they're they're really kind of creepy creepy and realistic right now mm-hmm. and like with everything with tech you know and, and whether they're you know used for sex work or like you said for uh for uh, elder care or just for emotional support it's it's kind of spooky to look at some of the uh, the science fiction movies that have come out in the past you know 10 15 years mm-hmm. and what they've predicted and how close we're getting to make that uh, become a reality right absolutely I mean look Alan Turing brought up something really interesting when people were, uh, but, but there was all around his time when there was all this conversation of, oh, machines can't do this, they can't really understand. And he said, he said something really good. He said, like, who cares if they, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, that's not how Alan Turing talked, but you know, he was like, who cares if, if, if they don't, and they don't think as long as they could make you think that they think right. you know you know like like as it doesn't really matter that the machine doesn't have in, uh, emotional intelligence if it could feel like it could if it could make you it could if it could trick you into feeling that you uh, that it has emotional intelligence like today it was really interesting i had my colleagues here the two because of, um, i have my uh, office here and i've got a you know, two, three desks with my uh, the two girls that come work with me. And the two girls were in the office and I was using my um, robot uh, vacuum cleaner and uh, we, we've called it uh, Brian. So it's like, <laughs> so, so we've, so we've got, I've got a, a mop. Brian is the vacuum cleaner and uh, Brian the bot and mop, uh, Moby the mop. Nice. <laughs> And, uh, and and I put Brian to clean uh, the uh, office as we were talking. And then I thought, I said, I picked it up and said, okay, it is enough here. Let's put you into the kitchen. And then uh, <laughs> it kept trying to come back into the office. And then my, my, one of my girls, you know, one of the, uh, my colleagues, she said that, um, uh, oh, it's, it's saying, I want to be here with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be part of and the group. It's just, yeah, and it's just fascinating that we have these conversations. It's like, like he says, he says he wants to be here with everyone. We are basically she's attributing. I know that we are joking, but we literally like we look at we are like every time we look at it, it's doing its job, and we're like, oh, oh, Brian, you know, <laughs> like so we are anthropomorphizing our right. vacuum cleaner in the office, and we are like, you know, we are looking at it almost like a pet, you know. So it's it's affecting our relationship with the machine. You know, I use this, um, uh, I use a ring and that is always, it's, an, it's called Aura Ring. I always, I always talk about it in every talk. They should really sponsor me because I talk about it so much. <laughs> but, so I've got this, this ring that's always on my finger and it's like I'm, I sleep with it, I shower with it, it's always there and it knows everything about me. It can even tell if I, it, like every morning, it gives me a, a readiness score and it tells me exactly how I slept. It tells me, you know, how much REM sleep I had, how much deep sleep I had, you know, how, what my heart rate was. And sometimes it tells me, it looks like you ate too late last night, you, uh, you yeah. know, because <laughs> it can tell from my um, body temperature and my uh, heart rate, it can tell if I ate too close to bed. Now, this is like, you know, I, I, so I have built an emotional relationship with it. If I feel like it's like my mom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? you know, it's like, 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 like looks after me. It's a little piece of technology that looks after me. Every morning I wake up, the first thing I look at, you know, some people that, you know, obviously I think 
it's probably most people are like that. Most people, I think, in this day and age, what's the first thing you do in the morning? You, you open your eyes, you reach for your phone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so most people are like that. So, and then most people, they reach for their phone, maybe they go to social media or, or you know, they look at the news or whatever. In my case, the first thing I look at is my aura ring. You know, to look at like how I slept, what, what my readiness level is, and it then tells me, you know, based on my readiness level, it tells me like today, you know, you're uh, you you slept so well, you know, you did so well. How about doing something creative today? Or sometimes it's a, how about doing some heavy workout today? Or sometimes it's, you should take it easy today. You know, just just chill, try to have a nap or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. incredible, right? <laughs> no, it, it is. And, you know, and I think, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, the future and, and the future of work. And, and um, you know, as these things become more readily available and more widely used, um, you know, especially with that type of information, is there a way that you envision that, uh, you know, employers, leaders are going to be able to integrate that into the the we'll say modern workplace but i think we're probably at this point talking about the future workplace because it'll take a mm -hmm. while for these things to become a little bit more mainstream right yeah yeah well you know the truth is uh, um this is something that it it pains me every time i talk about it but it's the reality and i i wrote my book you know trying to help people who want to be part of the uh, you know the group that are so okay let me let, let me just um uh, uh go back and and put it this way so the way that things are going it appears i may be wrong but it appears that there's only going to be about 10 percent of society that are going to have anything to do the other 90 percent, it doesn't seem like they will catch on you know catch up with with the speed of technology that's why you know there's all this talk of the universal basic income of course universal is not universal it just means you know in the western countries so uh, you know i talk about i've written a, a an article a very in-depth article on my linkedin it's called um uh covet 19 and the future of business democracy business um economy and democracy okay and uh, um, I talk about how COVID-19 has accelerated the use of these technologies. And it, it appears that uh, the world is going towards a place where it's going to be, uh, everything can be automated and will, they, it will be automated. You know, I'm now teaching myself uh, coding. I'm teaching myself linear algebra, you know, wake up in the mornings. I'm practicing before everybody arrives on like for about an hour and a half or so of, practicing coding and, and uh, algebra uh, uh, and on the weekends I spend most of my time you know at least a whole day pretty much practicing these things but then it just opens your your eyes and your mind to what is possible it's incredible yeah. what is possible right and when you think okay there is so much that I can automate why wouldn't you do it right yeah. if you could automate all those things why wouldn't you do it and people always ask me, so how about the people the, the, behind those jobs? The truth is, my, you know, I, it, look, it's not a popular answer. And I've, I've been on podcasts and I've been on, you know, I've given talks where this hasn't gone down well. And I've been on ones that it has gone down really well because some people are open to it. This is the reality. I understand that it may not be nice. But the truth is the jobs that can be automated are not worth having. You know, right. they're not worth having because they are, you know, they, they're, they're like, they're not stimulating. They're right. not really taking, you know, a, a job when you work in, you know, in my company with, with the girls that I work, they know every single day is different. Nothing, no two days is ever the same. Right. You know, it's just so much, it's, it's just so much speed, so much stuff happens all the time. It, no two days are the same and they're constantly learning. They're like, they're like. I can't, I can't believe like within a year, there's no other place I could have worked to learn so much. I'm not the same person every, like from last week to this week, I'm not the same person. So I'm constantly learning, yeah. but that's the only way to be. If you are not going to be like that, you are not going to have a, um, a positive contribution to make. Now, if you're, if you're going to be the kind of person that's quite happy to be uh, paid some money and just stay home and watch Netflix, then good. But if you don't want to do that and you want to, 
be you know have some kind of a productive uh, life then uh, um, then um, go read my book yeah. <laughs> you know, well, because that's that's what uh, it's been <laughs> written for those people yeah no and, and you know again I, I'm sorry you get flack for that because it's you know it, it's the harsh reality and, and and we've seen it here in in the United States I mean uh, you know there have been a lot of studies that have came out over the past few years that that talk about uh, th- this very thing and then they get followed up by uh, you know the needs for people in uh, what we call here in the States, the trades, you know, plumbing, air conditioning, carpentry, uh, masonry, things like that, that, uh, you know, some of those are even kind of at, at risk right now. I don't know if you've yeah. seen, but there's, uh, there's this big trend on 3D printing homes. And so then masonry mm-hmm. and carpentries may be going out, but you still got to do plumbing. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, and it's about being adaptable, right? It's not, you're not saying, Oh, forget those people that, you know, they don't count. No, either. not at all. No, You're Look, I've been be- in that position many times. Yeah. You know, I, you know how many times I've had to change career. you like my career as a filmmaker is completely disrupted by the smartphones. Right. You know, people, you know, people don't want to hire filmmakers anymore, but I still have work. You know, I'm working with um, Steinway pianos, which is like the most expensive pianos in the world. But be- why? Because that requires a level of storytelling. Mm-hmm. It requires a level of human input. Yeah, but but I've lost. You know, when I started my when I first started my own company, because I've worked for um, I worked in TV, uh, and of course before that I worked um, uh, in European embassies and United Nations. Uh, so I come from I have very kind of different skills. Uh, so I studied political science and philosophy of science and technology, and then I worked for United Nations and embassies. And then I worked, uh, um, went into TV, and uh, it had nothing to do with what I had studied. So I had to learn a completely new skill. And I was like, yeah, this is a great skill. You know, I'm going to make a lot of money with it. So I started my own business in 2015. And when you start your own business, all of a sudden you need to just take on pretty much any kind of work just to um, bring in some cash so that then you can grow a business. So starting out, we, uh, you know, 2015, that's not a long time ago, you know, something like five years ago, 2015, I was making maybe about 200,000 a year just from filming events and, you know, like um, corporate events and things like that. None of those jobs exist now. Nobody wants to pay for those because everybody has got a little DSLR you know, they, everybody can go to YouTube and learn, and learn, you know, how to put a little microphone on top of their camera and put their employees uh, or whatever on, on camera. You know, um, editing has become so much easier. Maybe they, maybe those jobs uh, exist still. But, you know, I moved on. I moved on really quickly because uh, because I could see that our clients, they didn't want to pay the same money anymore because they were like, Look, equipment is much cheaper now. I can use my phone. You know, you look at your iPhone 12 now. Mm-hmm. It's incredible what it can do. You know, I there just got mine today. Days, yeah, and, and like, you know, there are times that I go on a Steinway shoot. It's like the most expensive piano in the world. I sometimes go on a Steinway shoot, and there are things that I do with my iPhone that I can't do with the other phones, sorry, with the other uh, cameras, because it's so much faster and easier, you know, and you can put it in the corner of the piano. You can get shots that you can't get with the other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what that means is that, it, like, I used to hire a camera crew for 500, 600 a day. A day. Now I, um, I don't now because it's become so much easier because so many things are automated. I only hire junior people now and I... Um, you know, uh, buy all the cam- uh, camera uh, stuff because a uh, camera you know, kit because it's so much cheaper. And then I train them and I keep my costs down. That's the way that we, I'm able to then take that money and invest it into new areas because I know that that business is dead. You know, yeah. in, in, in two, three years time, even the work that we have now will not be there anymore. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I've got a uh, one of my best friends from, from the Marine Corps, uh, he is big into uh, customizing cars and he would do his own videos. And uh, we were talking about it, like the first camera uh, setup he got and he got a nice gimbal set up so it would be nice yeah. and smooth. You know, he's talking about thousands of dollars. You know, he yeah. said now he's using his iPhone 12 and he's got a, I think it's called Smooth. It's a yeah. Little, yeah. <laughs> like $200, right? Right. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and he's making better, like you said, better videos. Better. 
Yeah. It's better, yeah. And it's so. Let me ask you this: as as uh, you know, because a lot of my my listeners are maybe in the C suite or or leading smaller teams and that sort of stuff. As we move through there, and we know that we are, I think it's inevitable at this point. I don't think anybody can argue that we're not moving in in the direction to more automation. Yeah. How much responsibility do leaders of these organizations have to assist their current employees? that want to make the transition and learn these new skills in doing so? I think you have 100% responsibility. If, if somebody has the will, you've got to provide the situation for them to do it because they, that will benefit your organization. You know, I'm even t- telling my, everybody in my team, I was just talking to the girls that do uh, filmmaking, you know, editing here. I'm like, guys, if you learn, you know, what, what, what do you do on the weekend? And, you know, like, I just chilled away. No, 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 no. You need to be learning to code. <laughs> you know? you know, I'm constantly trying to, you know you, you know, you need to be learning to code. You need to be reading about machine learning, you know, un- uh, understanding how, because the, once you learn it, there are things in your own job that you can automate. They're like, okay, but if we do, then we are putting ourselves out of the job. I'm not, no, because then you can move on to doing more interesting things, bigger things, you know? Well, I mean, so again, you know, what I love about this and it's why I like tying history back uh, into things is what you just said, um, you know, was one of the things that, that actually I think a lot of people maybe kind of glossed over because of the bigger uh, messages the movie had, but hidden figures, right? That's exactly what, uh, I believe it was Octavia Spencer's character in the movie Hidden Figures. She was head of the 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 calculator pool, and at that time, it was legitimately making manual calculations or computer. It was literally making manual computations. And then when she found out that IBM was bringing in the big computers, she checked out the book, taught herself how to code, started teaching her ladies how to code, and they made that transition from being the traditional manual. Uh, making the manual computations to knowing how to code the computer mm-hmm. because otherwise if they hadn't had, they would have been out of a job the day that that mainframe went online. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I need to watch that, but that sounds, well, you know, I haven't watched any Netflix or video or film or anything for over a year now. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I, I'll tell you, you know, being locked down in COVID and, and all that good stuff, we've watched more than our fair share, my wife and I. And, you know, actually kind of on this this line, um, there's a great show on Amazon Prime that when we talk about, like, looking to the future, um, and I'm not sponsored by Amazon by any stretch. I kind of wish it was. They've got deep pockets, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's called Upload. And, okay. And, and the premise of this show is – it's only said, I want to say, like maybe 30, 40 years in the future. Maybe it's more than that, and I just missed the dates. But anyways, when you are near death, you got a decision. Do you want to do a traditional death, as they call it, or do you mm-hmm. want to get uploaded? And okay. The the upload, they basically put you in a in a machine that scans your brain, creates a digital image of your brain and who you are, and you get uploaded into a virtual world. Where you can continue to live. <laughs> Where you can continue to live and your uh, your family can, you know, through the use of VR and things like that, they can come visit you just like, quote, just like you were alive. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, it was interesting because my wife and I were watching this show and both of us almost at the same time looked at each other and said, if that was real, would you do it? Mm-hmm. And would you? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and oh, you know, yeah. quite honest, yeah. You know, and then... What I liked about it, because he explored a lot of the things we're talking about here, there was one gentleman that they kind of focused on who was kind of a traditionalist, and you know his wife had passed away before this came up, and he talked about wanting to see his wife in heaven, and you know then the question was, well, just because you do one, does that negate the other? Because you, what you have here is a digital impression of who you are, mm-hmm. and if you're religious and you believe that the soul is what the soul is, does that have an impact? Your soul can go on to heaven, and your digital uh, imprint can live on in the digital heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a very interesting show. I don't know if Netflix meant to be that, or excuse me, Amazon meant to be that deep with it or not, but it was a pretty deep show. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a genuine conversation in the uh, scientific community these days, you know, and um, uh, Larry Page uh, allegedly in a conversation with Elon Musk, uh, he 
called Elon Musk um, a species, saying that um, who says that uh, the kind of carbon-based form of life that we are is uh, uniquely valuable? You know, what's to say that digital life is not just as valuable or that silicon-based, uh, you know, uh, life is not as, if, if you can think of that as life, you know, that's, that's itself a, um, a question of, you know, is, is silicon-based life a life? Yeah. But, you know, if you are increasingly, you know, if you have many parts of your body replaced by um, uh, artificial uh, segments, you know, I, you know, how much of you should be changed before you are no longer, uh, you know, uh, quite a human in that right. sense, right? So, so, so um, I always talk about uh, merging with technology in all of my content, you know, like as humans merge with technology. And that's what it is. Like, at, you know, my use of my ring, you know, that's me merging with technology, you know, uh, using devices that uh, help me with meditation and calming down and stuff, you know, that's using, that's merging with technology. Yeah. Well, you, you, I mean, you brought up a really good point there, too. And, and, and it's, you know, it's one, especially here in the U.S., uh, that we've had to deal with quite a lot more recently, uh, given the global war on terror and the number of folks we have come home, uh, you know, that have lost limbs. And, and I had a friend of mine who uh, uh, he uh, lost a uh, uh, lost a leg below the knee and uh, he was talking about like the first prosthetic he had. And then mm-hmm. what's available now, how much better it is. And he said, you know, it was, it was interesting back in the early 2000s, you know, when somebody would get injured, uh, he kind of, you know, it was kind of funny the way he put it. He goes, when somebody would get injured, he goes, it wouldn't matter if there was just like a scrap of skin keeping the limb on. They told the doctor, do whatever you can to keep the leg. I don't want to lose my leg. He goes, mm-hmm. now, fast forward to 2018, 2019, 2020, he goes, you're walking through the squad bay and somebody stumps their toe and you know what? Doc, just go ahead and amputate the thing and give me one of those bionic jobs. I want the, really? I want the good stuff. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I mean, and it's uh, the, you know, like I said, he was saying it kind of in jest, but the, the point is, as, you're, as we're discussing here, you know, is technology is making these things better. Uh, they just released uh, uh, some, spe- well, some behind the scenes looks, if you will, uh, on like, what do they call it? The first truly bionic uh, eyeball. Okay. And, and they believe in the next few years that they're actually going to be able to go in. And if somebody loses an eye, they're going to be able to replace it with a bionic eyeball, make all the attachments to the brain. And it's going to work just as good, if not better as the original eye. Well, I am, I mean, um, one of my clients uh, who is uh, now 70, actually, um, uh, he says he's had, uh, the ser- lazy eye surgery and and he's, he he says basically my eyes are not real eyes right he's it's this um bionic thing and and um he says it's like so much clearer than my real eye was yeah and um and it's pretty amazing that yeah. to think that right so so is he's if you're not seeing with your own eyes it's this other thing or if you're not hearing with your own ears it's this other thing <laughs> Increasingly, you could say that you could live in a digital environment, and um, and I really think that's where we're going. You know, yeah. in, increasingly. I mean, think of COVID nineteen as a test run for what's coming down the line. Absolutely. Well, I, and that's a great segue, kind of into you know the next part of your book about mindset. So if we yes. we understand that these things are inevitable, and I really think they are, no matter how much some people want to try to slow down progress, they're going to happen eventually. They're going to happen, yes. How do people, uh, how do people get better prepared to deal with that reality? So in, in the, in the uh, section of my book where I talk about mindset, I uh, go over two things. One is knowing yourself, and the other chapter in that section is around uh, knowing your place or, or finding your place in the world. So you, your relationship with yourself and then your relationship with others and with the world. Um, the, when you want to gain the right mindset, you always start with yourself, trying to understand your own personality traits, um, you know, and uh, understand your environment and think, you know, because I always say all human relationship, sorry, all human, all human um, 
experience is the result of three elements as uh, your nature your nurture you know so your yourself and your um uh, your, your your dna your nature and uh, your environment and then yourself and you are you're kind of in between your what what i mean by self is like you know, your free will now is the question you know people always say um you know that you don't have free will many people say we don't have free will because um you know we are um a, a result of our uh, biology and our environment but actually i the way i look at it is that you're co-creating your reality with the world with the universe you know so so yes you don't have complete free will but you have relative free will and you can impact you know the way that you choose to respond to uh, your uh, nature and your environment that's up to you and there is a fourth element which is uh, data or information or knowledge so you can gain information knowledge you know, that's where your mindset comes in right so you develop the, the it's up to you what kind of mindset you adapt so you adopt right it's mm -hmm. up to you what kind of mindset you adopt because the mindset that you adopt determines the way that you respond to your nature and your environment for example i come from a, a genetic background of all of my family are obese all my cousins are obese my parents are obese you know everybody and i have the same gene and it's a gene and you know for those of people who are out there you, know, you come from that kind of military background you probably know the endromorph endromorph mm -hmm. ectomorph and, and mesomorph right right i'm an endromorph so I'm, I'm naturally prone to get, uh, gaining fat. But actually, if you see me, when you look at my pictures, my, my, uh, you, know, the, you meet me, you think I'm a, a mesomorph because I exercise and I, I'm the only person in my family that's not obese, that I have a six pack, usually four pack, you know, as a woman, you, you know, right. uh, but, but I, I am quite lean. I have a very good muscle definition, but that's because of my mindset it's so my mindset allowed me to respond to my uh, genetics and say no i'm not going to accept that right. you know uh, that's what i mean by mindset so and it's the same time at the same time you know i grew up i was born in tehran during the iran iraq war i uh, i in my uh, environment nobody spoke english you know my parents had never left their hometown i said i'm going to go abroad and i'm going to study and i'm going to you know uh, change my life. I, I don't want to be stuck in this um, society. So what I did, I taught myself English. You know, uh, I taught myself skills that allowed me to uh, apply for universities. I can, you know, when I was working, when I was in Tehran, I worked for United Nations and European embassies there, and uh, I was earning dollars where everybody else was uh, earning a real, and that allowed me to uh, save a lot of money bring it here, pay for my own education, you know, and then start a life, to, uh, a whole new life and build a business. Now I create jobs. I have six people that rely on me for yeah. their salary, right? And I'm paying for six people's lives. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, so that's, that's all because of a mindset. My mindset allowed me to say, no, I'm not going to accept. And it's the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's technology, you know, there's always some kind of adversity in life and right. we need adversity. Without adversity, we won't grow. So be, technology could be your best friend or it could be your, um, you know, worst enemy. It's just about uh, the mindset that you adapt, adopt is what um, sets, uh, you know, sets that scene for where you go with it. No, I, I love it. I love it. Now, uh, we're coming up on, you know, pretty close to around 50 minutes here, around 45, 50 minutes. And so I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get out of here without touching on, on part three of the book, those human skills. You talk about emotional intelligence, critical thinking, uh, contextual creativity, mindfulness, uh, and, and all that. So, how are those human skills going to uh, going to help folks uh, future-proof their work life? Well, if you think about 
uh, when we were talking about the uh, film thing right mm -hmm. earlier with the film career thing, that's a very good example. So when, without those human skills, contextual creativity, mindfulness, you know, uh, uh, critical thinking, emotional intelligence, but without those, I would be an, just another filmmaker and I could be replaced with the iPhone. But with those skills, I'm able to work with the most uh, expensive piano brand in the world, right? That's, that's the difference. Because it's those human skills that enable me to create a kind of human connection, both with my client and with the, uh, to tell a story in an emotional way of people. I mean, people open up their houses to me. I go to their houses that are, these are incredible people that, you know, like a Steinway piano is like 250,000 pounds. You know, right. like, like the kind of people who buy that, you know, these are like entrepreneurs, you know, they're like, you know, super accomplished. Like um, I recently, one of the people that I filmed was Madonna's pianist. Yeah. You know? So, so they're like the, the kind of people that, um, that buy these pianos that, you know, we film and we work with, you know, it's pretty incredible that they actually open up to us, you know, open their door to us and allow us to come in and film a day in their life to show what it's like, you know, what, what is the kind of person who owns these, these pianos. But all of that wouldn't be possible without me creating a deep emotional connection with these people and uh, to be able to capture their story in a, in a very emotional way, you know, to say, like, for example, we just filmed somebody in, and I don't even speak French. See, this is when you talk about the human connection, human connection goes beyond language. I don't speak French, but I went to Paris all the way from London, you know, outside of uh, an hour outside Paris. And we filmed a gentleman who is an entrepreneur who um, had an accident in, he was in a coma for uh, about a month and a half or two months or so he couldn't speak he couldn't remember his family uh, and um, he bought a piano a Steinway piano because he uh, was told by the doctors that you know it will help him with uh, regaining his uh, motor skills and, and to be able to you know help with his memory all that stuff so this is a very personal and emotional story why would some, why would a company like piano what what uh, Steinway you know bring somebody fly somebody from London to come there to tell that story to capture that story in an age where you know cam cameras are everywhere right and and uh, I can go in with just like one small crew and make something happen that otherwise, you know, it would be so much harder because of that human connection. So those human connections go beyond any kind of technology. It, the human connections are what enable you to use the uh, technology that you have, you know, around you, uh, to use them to create something that's beyond um, what can be achieved with just the technology alone. But the percentage of people, like I said earlier, the percentage of people who are going to take the uh, the burden of learning those skills because they are very tiring, you know, right. very tiring because you need to conscious, you need to make conscious effort. You know, when I come back from a shoot, I'm spent. You know, even like having this conversation, like the the what you, what you are doing, you know, to go and find the right kind of guests, bring them onto the show have these conversations, you need to create that emotional connection. Right. And then you need to do that production and you know, uh, you have to create an emotional connection with your audience. That's work. It's like, it's really hard work. It's very different to uh, doing something quite repetitive that mindlessly, right? You need to be right. mindful to be able to do something like that. It's the kind of, it requires a kind of contextual creativity. I always give the example, the best example of contextual creativity is Steve Jobs coming up with the iPhone, oh, sorry, with the uh, iPod, right. Right? the idea of iPod. He reimagined the way that, uh, you know, that humans could carry music in their pocket and revolutionized the way that we consume music. Right. These are, you know, some big examples of it. And then there are small examples of it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I like what you said there, you know, about the, the filmmaking piece, because as we talked earlier, you know, you can shoot video on, a, on an iPhone, you can shoot video on your DSLR, but there's a big difference between shooting video and making it film, right? Exactly. Yeah, outstanding. Exactly. Well, so thank you for, for spending a part of your evening with us. Um, uh, before we... Uh, before we close out here, I always like to, to ask one final question, my guest. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, I, think, I mean, right now, my biggest uh, project that we didn't get to talk about at all, right now, all of my time is spent on, I'm building a platform for women in business and technology. And I'm really working hard on bringing the awareness that majority of our technology is built by men. And that means that there's a big gap of data. There's a data gap when it mm -hmm. comes to women. Right? We don't have a good understanding of women's, um, uh, say, financial behavior. They're, you know, actually, majority of the jobs that are being disrupted are women's jobs. You know? Because in, in, when you look at in the service industry, you know, there are a lot of kind of repetitive tasks that women uh, used to do that are being uh, disrupted. You know, so uh, like when you look at things like administrative type work. So it, it concerns me. And when I was writing my book, I realized that uh, over 90%, pretty much 95% of the um, references that I used in my book, they were all male. Mm. You know? so, so it's very concerning to me. So I'm uh, now I've, I've started a think tank for women in business and technology, and I'm building a platform. It's called FemTalent, and the idea is to create a, a platform where women can raise money for their businesses. You know, they're uh, if they're entrepreneurs, they can raise money. They, uh, if they are looking for jobs, you know, I'm encouraging more women to learn uh, to code, to um, you know, learn, you know, to use technology to their advantage and um, generally go into more STEM kind of uh, work. So science, technology, math, and engineering. Mm -hmm. And uh, But at the same time, develop those human skills too, because when you put the two together, you become that top top 10% that we talked about. No, no. So I... that's, the, that's the main thing. So I would hope that, uh, I hope that people can check that out and join FemTalent. Uh, it's a very new, platform i'm still it's, it's it's costing me quite a lot of money so every penny that i earn from my filmmaking uh, business i put into uh get that off the ground oh no i i love that and so uh just kind of tying everything together for for uh for the listeners here uh we've been spending time with somi aryan uh yes. author of uh career fear and how to beat it Get the perspective, mindset, and skills you need to future-proof your work life. And so this has been a fantastic uh, conversation. I'll just say it again. Thank you very much for spending part of your evening with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you too. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. And, and for folks who want to you know, find out more about uh, who you are, what you do, and, and what services you offer, is there a good way for them to be able to uh, to reach out to you? And then for FemTalent, like, how can they find out more about that? So uh, easiest way, reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, um, you know, YouTube. I'm everywhere. LinkedIn is the, the one that I use most. Okay. Uh, so you can reach out to me and send me a message there. Um, uh, FemTalent.com is the platform I'm building. You can go in and register. Um, we are constantly updating. It's currently in a it's a pre-beta kind of mode. So, but it's it's very rudimentary. You know, we're just building it slowly. Um, but it's there. You can log in, and we have these conferences every six weeks. Yesterday we had a conference with eighteen panelists. Mm. Um, they're very very engaging. Like we had the conference was two hours, and everybody stayed from start to finish. We had about a thousand people that joined from different platforms. So it's just amazing. So we our next conference is on 15th of December. Um, and uh, just go to femtalent.com, uh, like fem as in female. Mm -hmm. So F-E-M, talent, femtalent.com. Uh, and uh, find me on any social media, Somi Ariane. 
Outstanding. And, and listeners, you know the drill. I'll have uh, those links in the show notes. You can go right there and find Somi uh, very easily. And I highly encourage you to pick up a copy of the book. I highly encourage you to seek her out on the social media platforms. And uh, I also want to highly encourage you to be sure that uh, you share, uh, you know, I, I say this about a few episodes, but I think this is one I really want to encourage you to uh, share uh, with your friends, because I think this is a very important topic that we've been discussing over the past hour or so. It's the inevitability of where our work life is going. And uh, there's a lot of good tools in this book to help you future proof your work life. And so, Somi, thank you for everything that you're doing, and thank you for writing this book. Uh, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate being on your show and, and talking to you. Yep, absolutely. And listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you know how to reach out to me at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Make sure you're uh, keeping up with the ratings and reviews and subscribing to the show so you can help me uh, share these uh, these great guests like Somi and their messages that are helping to shape the world going forward. With that, thank you for listening to us tonight, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Cast.